Uh, we ready for war. Never back down. Give me some more. We came for the title. Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. I just got back last night to Cincinnati, Ohio. I was in Tampa, Florida over over the weekend presenting at Connecting the Dots conference, which is hosted by TJ Wharton. It's my, it was my third year going and presenting. Great group of, of, of coaches down there, mostly college coaches. So it was a ton of fun. I presented on vision training for hitters, which is something I've been talking about more lately and putting out content in my in the newsletter, the Hitting Chronicle, about that too. So I just think in general, if you're a coach, I just you just have to constantly be pushing the envelope and just constantly growing. And so um, something that I've been looking into lately. So on today's episode, though, we got a special guest. We have Jordan Chiro. And today we're, we're talking all about recruiting. So it's going to be about the high school baseball recruiting process, what Jordan looks for when he's evaluating a player, what he's hearing from college coaches and what they're looking for, and just what he's seen, his own experience. He's been doing this now for nine years. He's the, the scouting director for Prep Baseball Report in Ohio, and so he, he evaluates more players than you know, I, that any, than anybody else that I know. And so no, no better person to ask about recruiting than Jordan. Appreciate him for coming on the, on the show. Um, I'm working with hitters right now in Cincinnati, Ohio. So one of the things that, that I, I'm only doing, though, is I'm only working with players who want, really want to get better and are really hungry to get better. So if, if that's you or if, if that's somebody you know, please send me an email, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com, and let's see if we're a good fit to work together. All right, here we go with Jordan Chiro. This is my time, I grind and shine. I put in the work and push the line. I'm holding my cram. All right, we now welcome on to the podcast, Jordan Chiro. Jordan is currently the scouting director for Prep Baseball Report Ohio. This is his, his ninth year. I um, mean, he's also the hitting coordinator for the uh, Bo Jackson Dome up in Columbus, Ohio as well. So, Jordan, thanks for coming on today. No problem, man. Excited to be here. So I don't know if there's there's too many people, at least in the state of Ohio, who evaluate as many players as as you do on a on a yearly basis. I mean, how many players a year do you think you you evaluate and scout? Uh, I mean, the unique part is it's typically we get to see guys develop through the four years of high school. So um, it's hundreds every year. Um, a lot of those are guys as we get to see go through their maturation process but um we'll see hundreds of new guys each year man so uh and our summer this year we saw over 600 players just at our showcases and that's not counting going out and watching guys play in the summer watching guys play in the spring so uh the cool part is getting to uh see the guys develop over four years but you definitely get new guys that pop in every year too and i'm sure you guys are and probably you specifically more than anybody else is like a highly sought after trusted resource for college coaches, because in in a sense, I mean, pretty much every high school player at some point, it seems like they you're it's at least it'd be smart to at least go to one PBR event. Right. Cause all college coaches are constantly checking that. But since, so since pretty much all players go to at least one PBR event, like you, you have a good track record of players. Like you don't really, it's not like if this player commits to the school, it benefits you more versus another player. It's all the same to you. So I'm sure you're a highly sought after trusted resource to college coaches. What are, what are some of the questions that, that you get from college coaches? And I say that because 
the metrics, obviously anybody can look that stuff up, but mm-hmm. do they usually dig deeper when they, when they ask you about players or is it still pretty surface level questions? I think you get both. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think the, where we provide our value is we don't have any uh, dog in the fight, so to speak. Uh, we just want to see these guys get a chance to play at the next level. We don't necessarily care where um, we will advise them on what we think is the right fit. But um, the questions we are more so specifically I get is um, especially after like the future games, you still get the, the uh, makeup questions all the time. What's he like to be around? Because you, you hit it on the head. I mean, they can see the metrics. They can pull up the video. Um, so they have an idea of the skill set. I mean, this is what they do for a living. They, they they evaluate off this all the time. But we get a ton of makeup questions. I get a ton of makeup questions. And then um, I'm sure we'll get into this when we talk about the evaluation piece. But a lot of when it comes to hitters, um, their ability to make contact, their approach, how they looked in game. And then for pitchers, did they throw it over the plate? Was it uh command over control was a control over command those type of questions that you can't really uh get just from a video or just from trackman metrics um but sometimes they don't have they might just see a twitter video that happens all the time in the summer where um we haven't really gone into anything deep yet from a scouting uh, perspective we'll have a showcase or a game and we'll post just a twitter video and i'll get the link and they'll say love this what more do you got on them so it it typically depends where they are in the process with that specific player. Um, when the makeup concern questions come into play, it's typically they're pretty close to making a decision. Um, and then all the way to the actual initial process of maybe just liking a video um, and anywhere in between. Do you find that now because of the portal that there's, there's a lot of guys out there that, that you've seen who've been to PBR events that you've evaluated that are getting they aren't getting the same amount of love that they were getting maybe like four or five years ago, that same type of player, or is that not the case at all? I think there, I think it's specific cases where I, where I think the portals impacted um, the type of player, the portals impacted the most, I should say is that fringe guy. Now, when I say fringe guy, that could be power five to mid major or mid major to perform walk on walk on to Juco D2, D3, whatever fringe you may be, um, where three, four, five years ago, we were seeing guys make maybe fringing up a bit, getting on that power five roster um, because college coaches were more likely to take on a chance with a guy who has some traits, but might not be all the way there yet. Um, Whereas now with the portal, they don't have to take that chance anymore. They have more of a known commodity with the college player um, where they have a track record of what they've done at the collegiate level. So there is less guesswork. Now your dudes that you can kind of peg right away. Like you've been doing this a long time and a power five guy comes and hits with you in your cage. It just looks, sounds different. Like that guy's still going to get his, the scholarship he was going to get four years ago. Um, But I think you're seeing what you're really seeing is the trickle down effect where the level of player we've we've always been blessed to have phenomenal division two division three baseball in the state of Ohio, but the level of player that's committing there, I think even division two and three coaches would agree is as high as it's ever been. Um, We've always had really good talent at that level in the state. And I think it's just going to continue to load up because as that fringe kind of trickles down, you're seeing better players commit to um, quote unquote, lower division schools than we have in the past. Yeah. I think that's one of the unique things about, and I know there's people listening to this podcast all over the country, but 
you know, I'm in Ohio, you're in Ohio. I think that's one of the unique things about Ohio is that the level of, of competition and in division three college baseball, it has to be some of the best in the entire country. Um, just off the top of my head, how many players that, that you see, it, it still seems that they don't want to go division three, division two, like they still want to hold out for that division one, um, on a regular basis. Like, do you still, I'm sure you see that on a regular basis where, players don't necessarily want to go that route what's your advice to them being especially being with the changes that have been going on with the transfer portal and and what you just talked about with being a fringe guy at times my advice is always and you're you're correct that happens all the time my advice is um go watch it like when i was i started out in the college coaching profession years back at otterbein university so i was there for several years i got to see it firsthand um but yeah it I think players are getting more and more knowledgeable on the subject. Um, but I think you don't know what you don't know. You need to go out and see it. Like go watch Marietta play Denison or Otterbein play John Carroll. Like you Heidelberg play Marietta, whatever name, name your pick of all these Worcester play all these schools. I mean, there's just flat out ballers on the field and, and you don't know it till you see it. Like, you're seeing you're going to see 90 amount of arms, a couple pro position players. Um, the level of play is just through the roof and, Maybe I'm biased because I'm doing this for a living, but I don't think there is a question. I think Ohio has the best Division Three baseball uh, in the country, and I think last year we had four or five teams in the top 25. Um, Baldwin Wallace almost won the entire thing. I mean, you talk about a program that's rolling with Coach Harry and them. They absolutely rake. They almost won the whole thing. So uh, you can go from east, west, north, south, anywhere in the state. You're not with you're not further than 20 miles away from an elite Division Three college baseball program. Yeah, and one of the things that, that you'll see online or I see online or people will say to me is like, well, I want to play professional baseball. And like the statistics show, if you go play D2 or D3, like your chances drop significantly. And my first reaction is, dude, if you go division one, your statistics are way down there to begin. Like you can't, like don't, let's not act like just because you go division one, like there's a really good chance you're getting drafted. The majority aren't getting drafted and you, you still could, if you go somewhere to division three, division two, and I've seen this before because of the portal, those guys will get snagged up in the portal by these, by these division ones. But um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the evaluation process that, that you have, and I'm sure it's evolved over the years, being that this is your ninth year doing that. And maybe I think it might be best if we just start out and separate the pitchers and position players. So from a, a pitching standpoint, which is probably, I don't know, I'm not a pitching guy, but I, I would assume it's a little bit easier to evaluate um, a pitcher versus position player. Like, What are you looking for? I know people, of course, they, they always want to know like the metrics and, and measurables and things like that. And but it usually it's a little bit deeper than that. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. Like what, what exactly are you looking for from a, a pitching standpoint um, in the evaluation process? Yeah, I mean, great question and a loaded question. But I think when you break it down and you look at the way I look at it from a pitching standpoint is just being around it for so long and seeing the type of guys that are getting the scholarships is. Um, what's being rewarded? Like what do college coaches value? And we see hundreds of these guys, but I think when you look at it and what really gets valued is a high ceiling and low risk. So college coaches can sleep at night a lot better with a pitcher. That's a low risk guy, meaning there's not as many questions as what he is. It, is he, they usually have him pegged as either a starter or a reliever and they know what he's going to be or a guy that has an incredibly high ceiling. And so 
with those guys, you kind of, when you're evaluating, you're looking at it versus what are they right now? So what's coming out of their hand right now? And then how far away are they from that ceiling and what do they need to do to get there? So when you look at, uh, let's just start with stuff. I think you can put it almost in two buckets where you talk about the stuff a pitcher has, and then you look at their movement prior movement profile, their athleticism, their delivery. So stuff is just kind of what's coming out of the hand right now. So the first thing I would look at is it can, can they throw it over the plate? And then when they do throw it over the plate, is it control meaning they can just throw strikes out there or do they have true command? Like do they, can they move the ball around the plate? Do they know how to set up their breaking ball off their fastball? Because at the next level, you've you've played at the uh, high level you play coach in pro ball you've seen it like if your stuff doesn't play off each other then those guys are going to mash so um you're looking at do they have the ability to do that can they connect their pitch ability with their data like do they know what type of pitcher they are um and then from a stuff standpoint the biggest thing we're seeing now with our partnership with trackman and being able to dive into all those numbers is you just don't want to be generic. Like you're looking for outliers, whether that's a specific pitch, whether that's a release height, um, whether that's an, a, an approach angle. Um, when you're outside of the norm of those things and you can command the baseball, you're, you're typically going to get outs. You don't want to be um, the five foot 11 right-handed pitcher that throws 86 with no um, unique metric to his fastball because that stuff's going to get hit. Um, but the, also the metrics are kind of showing us the old school, like you need to be six, three, like long limbed and, and have this high velo ceiling. Like sometimes that's not the case. Whereas if obviously that's can still be a good thing, but the guys that are five, eight, five, nine, if they're a little bit unique in what they bring to the table, like that's going to get outs at the next level as well. So that's from a stuff standpoint. And then what I think the real separator is, is, is your physical movement profile. Like, good deliveries they're going to get to their best stuff with the least amount of efforts uh, the least amount of effort good deliveries are going to hold up better out through a start meaning they're going to go be able to go deeper in outings good deliveries are going to hold up best over a year meaning they're going to get to throw innings and good deliveries are going to hold up best over a career meaning they're going to have longevity so if the arm action is jacked up then what you do in the weight room might not translate and that usually means you have some sort of outlying factor with the mobility in your arm. When a guy says, when you have a guy that you say, oh, that guy has a loose arm, that means like he has full stability and mobility within that area that's not being impacted. So um, I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent there, but how a pitcher moves is incredibly important because then you can kind of project their stuff moving forward. And guys with the clean arm actions, the good deliveries, they're going to have longer leashes than guys that don't have that because the guys that don't have to kind of rely more on pure stuff. Yeah, I'm sure it's hard probably to talk that through, but what would be an example of someone who, who doesn't have that clean arm action? Like if someone's listening and is like, do I have a clean arm action or don't I, is that something I need to work on? Like, is there anything that that sticks out to you when you watch players like, ah, I don't, that that's not a clean arm action right there. Yeah, I think the timing, like when you talk about being on time, like where your arm is at foot strike and then the looseness, you're looking for nothing, something that's not robotic or stiff, because if your arm's stopping and it's not on time, two things 
immediately two red flags mean that you're at a higher injury risk and you're not getting as much out of your body as you could. So, and you're not going to be able to repeat it as often. So you're looking basically for fluidness of a delivery, fluidness of the arm action, cleanliness, and then is it on time? I, I, I hope that answered the question versus if your arm action is real late, you're talking about guys that have kind of that inverted W like, and, or if it looks like a ton of effort and stiff, uh, you're probably not a guy that would be classified as having uh, clean fluid mechanics. So if you're, if you're a right-handed pitcher, you want to go play college baseball. I mean, is there a certain, and, and I know there's not a specific number like miles per hour, but is there something like you need to, you need to be in this range if you want to go play college baseball? Yeah, I think velocity is definitely a, a, a job requirement unless you're an outlier, meaning like, unless you have, and even even so, you don't see many 82, 85 mile an hour right-handed pitchers throwing at the division one level, um, unless it's submariner from the, from a sidearm slot. So, um, yeah, I would say you want to be in the upper upper eighties for sure. And like I said, there's all different that you go into different buckets, like guys hit, like we just talked about guys with the clean arm ash and good deliveries, they can project that out. So if you don't have it now, then you need to at least have that physical velocity ceiling where, um, you can get, college coaches or scouts can project that out for you. Um, but yeah, if, if you're not in the mid to upper eighties um, at any level, really, then you need to have something that's an outlier that you can get out where, whether that be arm slot, a really good breaking ball or plus plus command. But I'd say if you, and like anything you do in baseball and recruiting and scouting, there's no like one size fits all. But if you were going to just throw it in there, I would say, you need to shoot for the mid to upper eighties if you're a right-handed pitcher with the fastball. And then still, even at that, at the next level, you're going to have to have something else that's going to be able to get you out. You have any pitchers offhand that you can think of who you just, because we all, this happens to everybody. If, if it hasn't happened to you, then you really haven't, you haven't been in the game long enough. Is there an example of a pitcher who you missed on and what, and for what reason, why? Oh, that's a good one. Um, yeah. A few guys. Um, there's a guy named Jacob Brustowski. Um, he's a left-handed pitcher um, that I he didn't fall into the bucket of things we're talking about right now. And this was pre-track man, um, where we could see why he was different. But he did. He was a big physical lefty, like he had that, but he didn't have um, the fluid arm. He didn't have. He was like 85, 87 in high school, um, which was good enough to get some Division One feelers out there. Um, but then he ended up pitching at Texas Tech out of, after going to a JUCO and just having elite, elite stuff. But because um, he worked his butt off and he fixed some of the movement um, stuff. But, yeah, that's one I really didn't get right right off the bat. I'm trying to think. There's there's plenty. Well, you caught me off guard. But, yeah, this uh, <laughs> it this happens is, to all of us, man. I mean, I, I well, for me, it's been more so obviously on the, on the hitting side. But and then you just you kind of think about it. And I think a, a part of it, too, at least for me, is is you know some of the things that i've overlooked at times is uh one particular kid who i had when i was um with the orioles and it, it just how much he loved the game 
I, I didn't take into consideration how much he loved loved the game. And so like he put so much time in and studied so much and did everything. And then years and years went by and that just compounded. And now he's one of the, the top prospects in, um, in, in his new organization. So I think that's sometimes that's something that I've always I, I missed out on because of that. Um, not that I had, you know, wasn't like I was a scout and lost my job because of it. I was just a coach. But from a coach, you you like at least I I try to project guys and then see, you know, follow up and see where they're at in a few years. But let's talk a little bit about uh, from a hitting standpoint, which is, I mean, I think it's it's very, very hard to evaluate a hitter. I mean, obviously the the top guys, you're you're gonna know who they are and and that's kind of that's easy, but those fringe guys are a little bit a little bit tougher, especially if they don't have that physicality yet. But what are you what are you looking for from a, a hitting standpoint? What are some of the things that maybe you see guys don't do that they should be doing that that's within their control when they're working out in front of you? Like kind of take me through your process. For sure. Um it's incredibly difficult. I mean it- I think at, at every level, I mean, it, it's tough. Like uh, the guys get missed on in the first round that are hitters all the time. Um, I think it starts out with, I think we, you could talk about the the simple things when you're looking at the physical traits. Um, when you put them as a position player as a whole, like hitting pitching is getting so good. Like the pitchers aren't going to get worse. So you better be able to impact the game in several areas other than the bat. I'll get to the bat here in a second, but um, with the batting averages in college baseball, we're seeing a power input, um, but I don't know that the batting averages are going to continue to get any better unless they do something to the bats. Like I think pitchers are getting so much better that you need to be able to impact the game with the glove. Um, You need to impact the game with your feet. So I think positionally when it comes to adding value and what scouts are looking for, you look at the defensive part of the field and you think, all right, what positions impact the game more often than not um, than other positions may do. So I think you start with the middle of the field, like um, with the catch or shortstop center field positions, like those, are, they just have more chances to impact the game. So um, if you can really defend at one of those spots, then you're going to separate yourself immediately. Now there's not many of those guys. That's why you don't see many elite shortstops, especially in the Midwest uh, walking around or, Um, elite backstop so that's a quick way to separate yourself but strictly from offensively I think you start with do you have the prerequisite skills like bat speed is a job requirement when it comes to the collegiate level Um, and then I think aside from you know the mental things you talked about um, the drive the work ethic how much do you want it like from a pure physical standpoint Bat speed is what we see as the biggest difference between elite prospects and you can just go on down the line. Like the guys that have bat speed typically get a longer leash and play this game longer. It's very similar to guys that have velo on the mound. Um, And then the tough part is really in the evaluation process is at the high school level, like how often are you seeing a guy face an arm that he's going to face at the next level? Like that doesn't happen very often. Like, I think the last stat was 7% of players go on and play college or 8%. I forget it was a decimal. And I think there's a lot more talent than that, if that makes sense. I think guys, a lot more than 8% could play. I just think people have a div- level of division they want to play at, but that's getting beside the point. But let's just say for a round number, 12% of guys could play in college. Like, so how many of those are arms and how many times are you going to see that matchup? And then inside that matchup, like, 
like if you get a hit in high school four out of 10 times, you're a star. Like, so then you do you, you need to see them produce in that less than 50% of the time you're going to see them, they're going to produce. So I think when you look at it, you start with the physical traits and then if they're not having success. So if they lack something you're looking for, so if it's either the contact or the power part of it, like if they can't make contact, then why are they not making contact it, when you're evaluating is, is it a physical thing? Like if they can't see spin, that's not going to get better at the collegiate level. Like guys that swing and miss or can't pick up a breaking ball very rarely, if ever, do they go to college and get better at that? Um, so if it's that, that's a big red flag when it comes to evaluating hitters or is it an approach deal? Do they just need to have some guys at the high school level are just never taught to have a good approach. So um, could it be fixed with what they're looking for, how to work different counts, or is it swing related? Like we use blast. I'm not sure if you use blast with the stuff you do, um, but we have access to those numbers. So is there a, is there a hole in their swing where if they maybe fix that, then they can make contact more often. Um, those are the type of things you're looking for is if a guy swing, that's because for me, that's the biggest red flag of a hitter is swing and miss. Like that doesn't get better at the next level, but is it correctable? Um, and then from a power side, that's usually pretty self-explanatory. Like, is it a swing path issue or is it just not many guys in high school have tremendous raw power yet? Can you project like them growing into that? So um, I hope that began to answer your question. One, I think it might be the hardest evaluation piece, maybe other than quarterback in the NFL, one of the hardest um, evaluation pieces we have in sports because it is so unpredictable and it is so hard. But I think you start by looking at the physical tools and then you look at their production in game and try to draw conclusions on if they're lacking in one area. Is it something that is a, you're able to fix before they get to the collegiate level or is it something that is just not going to be able to come together for them? First of all, I thought that you that was very, very well said. I, I agree with everything you said right there. Um, I just have a follow up. I had a Kyle Truen on the podcast. I don't know, maybe it was a couple of months ago. Who's up at Miami, Ohio? They're hitting coach up there, and one of the things that that he had said, he's like, "Man, if I could have a nine hitters in the lineup and they were all left-handed, I would be very happy." Is yep. something that is that something that you see? Because that's something that I've I've really noticed over the past six months, ten months, and maybe that's because I just wasn't paying attention before. But how many coaches? prefer left-handed hitters over right-handed hitters oh yeah that's a that's a huge thing left-handed hitters are gold man because one i mean it's this as simplistic as this is they're closer to first base so they're going to get down the line better but um more in depth wise there aren't as many of them so if you find good ones it's hard like anything in life but in scouting and recruiting like the harder it is to find something the more valuable it is so there's less of them and then most pitchers are right-handed. So you come in with a, with a added advantage of being down the line quicker and with the added advantages of most of the time, you're going to be facing the opposite handed pitcher, which some people don't care about, but a large percentage of um, the baseball community does. And I, maybe that's just me being clouded a little bit, but I remember when a I was right-handed, unfortunately, but when a left-handed pitcher came up, I always felt a lot more comfortable. So I think um, all those um, come into yeah, I don't think there's any question that left-handed hitters are more valuable than right-handed hitters. Unfortunate for us right-handed hitters, but I think it's the world we live in. Is that, uh, I mean, have they done 
like research studies on that? Like, have they gone back through? Cause that, and this is something I should ask Kyle on the podcast. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll uh, send him an email and ask again, but I'm just, my mind goes to like, is that actually backed up by something other than just like something subjective? If there is a study, I don't know about it. Um, but I would just tell you from the recruiting cycle, um, maybe it is subjective, I'll tell you, college coaches definitely believe it because if you look at, like you said, what you've noticed in the past six months, but I, what I've seen over the past several years is left-handed hitting infielders, especially, um, or catchers, they come off the board first. Like they're going to, they're going to be the ones that come off the board first. And um, I'm sure maybe there is, you got, you might've just given me a homework assignment. I'm going to go look into that afterwards. But <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what about corner guys, corner players, corner outfielders, from what I've seen, those are usually the last players to go. And again, I want to I want to ask you questions like this because I know these are, you know, parents and players are going to be listening to this, and there's going to be some corner players who are listening to this too. And so I think at times maybe it's a little bit frustrating for them. They don't know. Uh, and I think earlier you had mentioned how up the middle players they they're going to go first. They have more versatility at the next level, but just if you don't mind explaining like why corner players sometimes are the last ones to go. For sure. Um, one, if you're a corner guy, listen to this, trust me, you'll, you'll, your time will come. It's simply that the middle guys come off the board first, not that corner guys don't come off the board. Cause I mean, there's more corner positions um, than there are middle positions. Uh, and when you're talking infield and outfield, but um, the reason being is typically, I mean, if we're just being honest, typically the better defender is playing up the middle. Like, I don't know how many high school shortstops there are out there that one or their coach and be like, you know what? I prefer to play third base. Like um, I just, that doesn't happen very often. So typically the simple answer is the, that the better pure defender plays up the middle. Um, and there's less guys that I think one of the most rare things in Ohio that I can point to over the past several years of doing this the most rare type of prospects are a slam dunk. You look at that guy and say, yeah, he can play shortstop at the, at the collegiate level. Like there's just not many of them. So like we said earlier, the rarer type of a prospect you are, the more um, college coaches are going to want that. But um, I think it's more of timing necessarily than anything that would take care of the middle first. And then um, when you go to the corners um, one, the ball, you don't, you don't have as much, um impact on the game defensively like the ball's not hit to you as much um and that's just that's just data it's backed up by that and then typically corner guys are power guys which are is harder to evaluate when we talked about from uh when you're evaluating hitters usually the bigger stronger hitters understanding if that's going to actually translate to the next level is even more difficult than just the pure hit tool because power is one of the toughest things to project out when is it going to happen is it going to be able to happen at um, that level? So if you're a guy that is a, you do yourself a big favor by hitting for a higher average, or if you're a high contact guy that also has a power um, ceiling, like that's going to be something that's going to put you ahead of the curve. But one to kind of wrap up your time's going to come like college coaches go through the middle, then they go to the corners. Cause you got to have a third baseman, first baseman, left fielder, right fielder in the game. You got to play with those guys. Um, but um, also it's just from a pure defensive standpoint and the power tool being harder to project at the next level. One of the things that I hear from a lot of different 
players that I that I you know even just work with in in Cincinnati just from a hitting standpoint is you know sometimes like college coaches will call them and then they don't hear anything from it at all kind of just goes dead I know this and this happens all the time uh and I think from you know just talking with college coaches I think a lot of times that they're just trying to just gauge interests see you know what the players like see if they connect at all um what should players be like expecting if they get a phone call from a coach what does that mean what does it mean if a coach is on twitter liking their tweets like i think these these types of questions are are what i get and i i don't think there's anybody better to answer them than you for sure i appreciate that i think it's um this parallel is you can draw a strict parallel i think to it's almost like the dating world man like if someone's if someone's interested in you to the point where they want to create a relationship, like you're going to know it, like it's going to be very obvious. So I think college coaches want to create a relationship with at the beginning with players that they potentially can see themselves recruiting. So when they start the feeler out process of liking a tweet, um, talking to your high school coach, talking to your summer coach, following you on Twitter, um, that's the initial process kind of like, for lack of a better term, they're swiping right. That doesn't mean like they, they want to be in the relationship yet, but there's something about you that is intriguing to the point where um, they don't want to, they're not ready to say no yet. Like they, they want to at least pers- like dig into it, but they're doing that with a lot of players because it's their job. Like that's how they feed their family. They're trying to get the best possible player into their program. So I think that kind of things, when you're talking about they're good things. That means there's an interest level. There's a difference between getting followed on Twitter versus a camp invite via email. Like that means you're further along the prospects. Like not everybody's getting followed on Twitter, but I think when the phone conversations start, that's when it becomes serious. Like this could, this could happen, but um, they'll also have opening phone calls just to create that initial relationship um, if they're not sold on it yet. And if, if you're not hearing from a coach regularly, I wouldn't say that doesn't mean it's the end of the world, but if if you're a target recruit and they want you, like typically it's going to be pretty obvious on your end. Why do you think that, and, and this is something that I've seen now, not even just in baseball, but I've seen it actually even in softball too, and this is building off of, of what we're just talking about. I, I've heard of a lot a, of college coaches tell kids or tell maybe the travel coach, yeah, we're going to offer them we'll call them later this week or whatever. And then they, ne- it never happens. Is that usually because something, some, something better happens or something better comes up? Like why, why do you, why do, why do coaches do that? I mean, I think there's, there's unique cases for everybody. Like I said, I don't think it's, there's one exact answer, but I would tell you that typically what that means is if they don't, that means they found something better or, if they do tell you that, that means they want to keep you interested and they might be trying to get an answer from another player and they want to make sure that you're not committing anywhere because you could be their second choice. Um, but if they are saying they're going to offer you and that that never happens, they either change their mind or um, they their number one option. You weren't their number one option going into it. And I think at least in Ohio, I haven't heard of that a ton, but I have heard of that. I've seen it on Twitter a ton. I've seen a lot of coaches not happy about it on social media. I think um, I haven't seen that a ton from college coaches in Ohio. I could be wrong or naive to it. Um, so hopefully not too many Ohio prospects are going through that. But um, if they do, that just simply means they either change their mind or their number one choice came through. 
Yeah, I haven't. Same here. I haven't heard that necessarily from anybody, any college coaches in Ohio. It's actually all been outside of the state of Ohio now that you say that. But I have heard it uh, several times. But so I, I, I that's something I didn't think of what you just said right there about how they they may not want you to commit somewhere else and kind of just. Um, you know, making sure you know that you stay close if they're number one choice. I think you're probably 100% right there. I didn't even think of that. Um, when when you are helping players, because I'm sure you know you've you build relationships with players too, and you work with hitters currently too, and you see certain players go on to college and and maybe it doesn't work out at that school. What are some what are some reasons or that that kids should be considering when choosing the right college based upon what you've seen? Yeah, I I mean, first of all, that's a phenomenal question. Um I think I think that's one of the biggest mistakes. And I think it goes starts with the beginning of the process is typically what hap- when that happens is you let outside factors other than what truly matters to you about your college experience dictate where you went. I mean, sometimes it just doesn't work out, you know, like sometimes like it's an inexact science. The coach that was recruiting you thought you were gonna be a a superstar for them and whether it's talent wise, you had a hard time adjusting at the next level or coaching changes, whatever it may be like, sometimes life just happens. But in reality, more often than not, um, it's typically being unprepared in the process and just basically making a decision on level or glitz and glam and not truly what matters to you. So my advice to all these guys, and hopefully they get it right the first time, but when they're coming out of the portal, um, cause we have those conversations too, it's, it's, you, you need to really have a list of things that truly matter to you in the process, kind of like your hierarchy of values when picking a, um, a college program. And that could be different for everybody. There's no right answer. It could be playing time. It could be as, simple as like if if gear really matters to you and you want to go to school like that has cool gear good for you like uh everybody's a little different but i think not being fully prepared for an opportunity when it comes and then being caught off guard and not having done your research on um the hierarchy of values to you in your college program is typically what happens and they choose schools for the wrong reasons um typically what it is is it's their best offer and they're willing to overlook maybe the development plan or the type of offense they're getting into or how they, if they're a pitcher, how the pitching staff develops um, arms and they choose what might be perceived as the better offer in the moment versus what truly matters to them in the long run. Love that. It's great stuff. Great stuff. Um, we got a few more questions for you. So what's, what's the timeline for recruiting? Like here's kind of, here's where, where I think it's at. Let me know if it's wrong. So right now it's August 1st of heading into your junior year, that's when division one coaches can call you. I believe it's sometime mid June for division two coaches heading into your junior year. So usually the the top players are getting those phone calls right away and they're committing that fall of their junior year at some point. And then slowly, but surely the, the mid majors will finish out by the end of their junior year. And then heading the summer, heading into their senior year, There'll be a couple of mid-major division ones will offer or still be recruiting, but then the the D2, D3, and NAIA and JUCO will recruit from from then on till the the graduating senior year. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, that's that's pretty darn close. That's pretty darn close. Now I think the rule change is gonna. I think will this is this is our first year with the new rule, so I think it's going to be impacted, but. Um, if you just look at the data, like right now, so let's go with 2025s. 
Um, right now, and we we might have missed a few. I don't think so. But from our database, we have 37 commits in Ohio right now, 2025s. Um, and in the 2023 class, so freshman in college right now, we had over 500 players commit to the collegiate level. So, and that's the same in 2022. Um, and typically we have right around, if history repeats itself, um, we have right around 100 players, 90 to 100 that commit to Division One schools out of the state of Ohio, depending on the year. So right now, 37 guys, if you do the quick math, that means over 450 guys that aren't committed right now um, are going to play in college. And somewhere between 60-ish guys that aren't Division One commits will end up committing to Division One Now, um, like I said, I don't know if that the new rule will change because I think now that Division Ones have to recruit year by year, I think they'll have so much info on these guys that when August 1st comes, like they're going to be firing away. And I think you'll see a, um, a deeper pool of guys committing right away because the players will have more information. The college coaches have more information versus when you're getting recruited as a freshman or eighth grader, even as, as we used to have. Um, so I think other than that, I think you're, you're spot on with the assessment. Um, but for parents and, and players watching this, like, I think that's one of the biggest points I try to get through is like, relax when August 1st comes around and you're not talked to and you're not hearing from, because as you pointed out, the only level really right off the bat that the recruiting you is division one. And even now, like if let's just say a even number of a hundred, only 37% of our 2025 class that will be division one guys are committed right now for whatever reason that might be. So um, even the division one dream isn't gone. If you haven't heard from anybody on August 1st um, and then in reality, division twos, threes, JUCOs, NAIA is like, they're going to come around in the timeline you said. So there's no reason to hit the panic button, but yeah, I think that's a pretty spot on assessment is you're going to, the division ones, the power fives and mid majors, they'll have their guys right off the bat. Um, that'll float throughout the summer, early fall. And then around Christmas where um, the other in the winter um, time, that's when the other schools will come into play into your, into your uh, junior year and then go from there. But um, yeah, there's the big thing is there's no rush. Uh, relax like there's going to be plenty of time and now with the portal even like division one schools are going to be looking for guys later on into sometimes even to into the summer where they wouldn't have had to in the past uh, I'm glad you brought that up so uh, I was talking to um, a division one coach recently and one of the things that he he told me was he's like I don't think as many high school players are leveraging the portal the way they should be and I was like what are you talking about and he goes, well, here's the thing. He's like, we're a mid-major division one college. Okay. And so he said, you know, usually what ends up happening at the end of the season, like he was referring to the end of last season, guys, you know, after our season's over, some guys that we didn't expect to go in the portal and leave on our team end up going in the portal and leaving. And he, I'm like, all right, so what does that mean? And can't you just go in the portal and get somebody else? And he's like, yeah, but we're a mid-major division one. So we're not going to go in the portal and get, another if, if we go in the portal and get another mid-major division one player it's because they weren't good enough normally to play at that mid other mid-major division one school because if they were really good and had really good numbers now they're going to the power five so i was like oh, okay that's interesting he goes so honestly what i would rather do is i'd rather take a chance on a high school kid then right i'd rather take a chance on a, on a kid who's maybe overlooked in high school versus some kid who just sat the bench at some division one school and so to your point 
he was saying, he's like, I think kids need to be, they should be a lot more patient because there's usually money that's, that usually opens up because college coaches start to panic, especially at that mid-major level, because they don't want to just give money to, or just get somebody on their roster who, who didn't play at another school. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, that's, that, that happens all the time. Like colleges lose guys at the portal. They didn't know what was going to happen. And like you said, unless it's a big trickle down, like, um, whether you're like high level power five, the mid major, like you put, you hit on the head. You're typically it's doesn't work out because they didn't get on the field. I mean, there's other reasons why guys get in the transfer portal for sure, but that's, I would say the majority of the reason um, why it happens. So are you really going to recruit a guy that wasn't good enough to play for a team that you know have to go beat like, or would you rather restock and go through? And I think that will end up happening more and more. I think as high school guys are, um, are getting more educated on the topic and realizing that um, that they have more time than they think, but it's tough as a high school kid. Like I get it. Like, do you really want to wait until like you got to be on campus in two months or do you want to take an opportunity that um, you already have and has presented itself there? So I get both sides of that. Like, I think there's a lot of, when that does happen to college coaches, I'm sure they, they wish there was a talent pool. So out there um, and for high school guys, like, I just think it's tough to, to unless you really uh, are you really willing to take a risk to wait that long. But if you are, there's going to be opportunities. Last question for you. It's about PBR events. So how many events? This is something, again, it's another question I'll get is, you know, how many events should my kid go to? When should they go? Um, mm -hmm. Are there specific events that are better than others? Um, I don't, you know, again, I, for me, like one of the things that I've seen is I think that the top prospect, what you guys have up at, at Prasco Park, I think that's that's usually loaded with college coaches, and that's obviously invite only. But that's one of the thing ones that that sticks out to me. But what would be your your um, guidance or advice for people out there who have that question? Yeah, I mean that's it's a great question. I think it all starts out to like what um, financially makes sense for you. Um, like you don't need to go to a hundred showcases. I think a really good plan would be we have a, a scout day, what we call them with specific organizations in the winter. So um, all the guys you trade down in Cincinnati, we have, we have one with Midland, uh, CBC, the flames, all the legends, baseball, like all those guys will, we'll have that. So if your team's having a scout day, I think that's a pretty good idea to go to in the winter um, more so that you're trying to get in the winter. Nobody's getting, or I shouldn't say nobody, it's rare that you're going to earn a scholarship from a winter showcase just because a big part of this evaluation piece is obviously the game. And we live in Ohio, so you're not playing a game in a showcase. So, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to get um, your name on a list for a college coach to go out and see it in the spring. I call it the winter showcase. I call them resume builders. It's not the job interview. You're trying to get your foot in the door that way. Um, when the spring comes around that your name's on a list where you can go out and be seen and you're trying to show improvements and have a kind of a running tally of how you're improving over the past few years. Um, uh, so I would say if you can, and it financially makes sense, we have open ones, two, three a year in the North, the central and the South for guys that we maybe can't make their date, maybe they're basketball players in there or something on that day. So um, we have open ones too, but if you can get to one in the winter, great. If not, um, the summer where we do play games, I think has an incredible value. So my advice is always one in the winter, one in the summer. And if it doesn't make sense financially to do both, I would lean towards doing one in the summer because we do all the stuff we do um, from a 
measurable standpoint. So we'll measure um, all the physical traits you have, and then we'll play in a game after. If you get into top prospect games, um, that's a phenomenal one to go to. That's kind of uh, – guys listening to this in high school might be too young, but for me and you, it's our Catalina wine mixer for a stepbrother's reference. Um, so, yeah, if you can get into that one, great. And every event we have is kind of a – for lack of a better term, um, an identifier for that. So you don't have to go to a, a thousand events to get invited to that. If we see a guy that's good enough to go to that, um, they're going to go. But that's where we collect the top talent in Ohio. And then we typically, it's well represented from um, high school coaches, but um, we have plenty of options and they're all the same when it comes to what we actually do there. Um, you're going to have the same showcase. We'll play games afterwards, the same measurables. Um, they all provide kind of the exact same deliverables for a um, high school player and what they need to put on their resume to get um, recruited. But uh, yeah, the top prospect games from a hospitality, a hospitality standpoint, I mean, if you haven't been to Prasco Park, it's worth just going there for the experience, but then uh, from a college coach standpoint as well. Awesome. Jordan, I appreciate you coming on. If, if somebody wants to like learn more about what you do, maybe they're interested in PBR, like what, where should they, where should they go? Where should they follow you? Should they go to website? Yeah. Head to the website, and if you have any questions, you can email me directly. It's Cairo, my last name, at prepbaseballreport.com. Um, pretty simple. Shoot me an email. Um, we'll get back to you if you have any questions. But, yeah, our website's full of everything. And then if you follow us on social media, we have a great social media team that's pumping out um, stuff about players and what we're doing constantly. So either on Twitter or Instagram, we're easy to find there. So uh, all those are good avenues. But if you have any specific recruiting questions, that's why I do this. That's the coolest part about my job. So make sure you – you reach out to me via email and we'll always get back to you. Awesome. Thanks, man. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on.